0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hello, friends. Before we get to uh, Jeff Bethke, talking about uh, good stuff, um, let me tell you about today's sponsor, Come and See. Come and See is an immersive surround sound audio treatment of the life and teachings of Jesus. The listener is dropped into the middle of the story as one of his first followers, it gives the listeners the opportunity to experience what it might have been like to actually follow Jesus when he was on the earth. The entire project is three volumes with a projected runtime of six to eight hours. The first three chapters of Volume 1 are already available for download. Those who pre-order will receive access to all the chapters as they will be released. What makes Come and See unique is it's the only version of the life of Jesus that treats the listener as a participant in the story, and it's the only version of the life of Jesus that includes every word and deed of Jesus from the four Gospels gospels within one overarching narrative newsworthy with we listeners that's you all get a 25 percent discount by using the coupon luke l-u-k-e the price of pre-ordering the entire three volume project drops from 20 dollars to 15 so there you go check out come and see we got more uh information a link to that is in the show notes so you want to learn more click there uh that's a christmas present right there for yourself or anyone uh another christmas present my book uh, got over good. It's been out for uh, a little over uh, two months now. And I uh, appreciate the support. If you've, uh, if you've listened, if you've... Let, well, you would be listening to it. If you've read it, uh, feel free to go leave a review. If you want to leave a five-star review, that is, if you don't, keep it to yourself. Uh, I'm kidding. I mean, no, not really. Um, give give a copy of it to your friend. Uh, leave a review on Amazon, seriously. And uh, share it on social media. I would appreciate all of those things. And what else I think you'd appreciate or I would appreciate, is if you listen to the rest of this podcast with Jefferson Bethke. Here we go. You know what you're doing. All right, uh, friends. Welcome back to the show. Today we have someone calling us on the mainland from the island. What, what do you guys say? Like the That was actually
1: impressive. Everyone always says, like, everyone calls the 48 states the, like, U.S. Like, hey, when you're going back you're, to the States, it's like, state. no, no, no. We are in the States and Maui. We live in Hawaii. But you, yeah, people in Hawaii call it well, the mainland. So I'm impressed. No one ever gets there that There we right. go. You We're off right. to a good
0: start. We have Jeff, Jefferson, mm. Jeff. J- j- w- is Je-
1: Either or. I probably get called
0: 50-50. Which...
1: Yeah. I mean, like, people probably call me Jeff. Half, half people call me Jeff. Half people right, call well, me Jefferson. I feel
0: like we can be formal if you want. Jefferson. Bethke. All
1: right. There we go. It does sound a little more it regal does, like, classic. I like This guy might it. be
0: like an emperor someday. Jefferson or like your face on <laughs> the money. Okay, so uh you're you're in Maui, which all of us with kids mm-hmm. know from the movie, the Moana, which I feel like that's Maui, like there's a Exactly. Do you feel like there's there's a lot of is. demonization because of that movie that people think of your place as a place of Is not Maui the bad guy in that movie? Am I getting it wrong?
1: Well, he's like the bad good guy. He's like one of those guys where he's like rugged but the then rock. turns into the good guy. The no, sh- but I mean Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as the rock character. No, I think that actually is a great movie and I feel like Lin Manuel and the people that created that movie actually really really did their homework so it's very very culturally mm. honoring. It's very very it's like people it's it's I mean it's one of those things where people freak out here about it cuz to be able to have a movie like that that it's not just about Hawaii but Polynesian culture in general, Tongan culture, Samoan culture which are a lot blended a lot in Hawaii. Yeah, I felt people loved it, man, because they got it right, and felt people felt very honored. Kind of like if you were, you know, a small minority in the world, and there was an awesome movie that exactly. got your culture right. That would be, be like, like oh, the equivalent killer. for me as totally. a Texan
0: of Friday Night Lights. It, fi- it finally got my exactly like yeah, yeah, they nailed the culture. Like you feel like yeah, they, like yeah, church yeah, exactly. basically half the people at my church, and so like you you get me exactly. like that's my world. <laughs> yeah, so that yep. so okay, yep. now we yeah yeah okay, so that makes me feel Moana is to Friday Night Lights. Yeah, good exactly exactly
1: it's not it's not as like everything's not just crazy pristine perfect see-through water beaches
0: (laughs) but uh but a lot but some of it is some of it is okay uh, so you made the move out there five years ago from washington you're washingtonians Yep. are you sure that's the right word to say is that for real 100 100 positive yeah okay yeah
1: there is some states that are weird right like texan is an easy one washingtonian does sound kind of weird oregonian is the proper one there but there are some states that right. you're like yeah that's like i don't know what yeah there's some ones where you're like that's funky what do you call a north dakota person like yeah. a north I, dakotan Ar- arkeesian
0: there, if you're from Arke- i think that's yeah right. exactly i'm trying to perpetuate that um okay so you made the move out there a couple exactly. years ago which i'm gonna be real honest you're doing life right if you do that i feel like if you can get to the beach and you can make life work with your family good for you i'm happy for you. Exactly. Suffering yeah. for the Lord over here, you know? Someone's got to live in That's true, and, and for that, we say congratulations <laughs> for being faithful to God. You will be rewarded in the afterlife. Many exactly. jewels in your crown for that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Some people say the opposite. They say, I'm doing that, I'm getting that right now, and I won't be rewarded later. But yeah, no, it's pretty I'm, awesome. I'm Lord, optimistic, love it here. I'm
0: more positive, so just listen to me, not them. Okay, the reason exactly. we're talking is, I think this is the right history of our internet friendship. Annie Downs, I feel like mm-hmm. Annie somehow connected us, yep. like six months ago, and I don't remember what it was about. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was very meaningful, but I don't remember. But we became internet friends. I was like, oh, I'm going to follow this guy. And then it's happened. So this podcast is dedicated to Annie F. Downs. Exactly. Yeah, no, from what I remember, it was
1: something... Kind of theological, which I had nerd out on, and I think from following you, you enjoy th- deep theology and thinking about deep things too. With the books <laughs> in the background, I can tell. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> you got to. And then I, uh yeah, I think it was something. I even actually think it was something about like NT Wright or something like that. But uh, um, yeah, it was like a tweet, and then we were in a thread. It was NT uh, Wright's
0: you know. Paul book. That's what it was.
1: Yep, it, That's I, a sick book by the so way. So I had one to talk about it
0: uh, whenever no. it came out, and. I think I told him, but I've said this mm-hmm. since then. It is my most recommended book in the last 18 months, maybe 2 years.
1: It's so It's c- phenomenal. He did such a good job of I mean, first of all, he's like one of the most first-rate Paul scholars, yeah, in the world. So then to get that level of theology, but then he just humanized him in a way that just you're like, "Oh, I've never I've never, never read like you just he put him in such a like real person yeah, box. 100%. You know what I mean? And you're like, whoa! He's he's really wrest. He he's like such a groundbreaking figure wrestling with crazy different layers of mm. Jewish theology and the you know reimagining that then as a cultural you know person yeah. in the Greek system, etc. And then as a Christian like Jesus person, like it was crazy. Like he, it was really cool. just be like, man, these aren't just like theological facts that God just put down in his brain. But there was significant wrestle, and Paul is yeah, a and, very impactful and person. And Wright
0: was able to make that accessible, so he can do it like his his. Exactly. Scholar, scholarly stuff, yeah. which whenever I get one of those books in the mail, I'm like, oh, I, I can't do this interview. But then he does totally. like pop level stuff, which to be able to do like... Totally. Yeah, which are all my favorite fun. books. I, I can do that with him. And what, once he had a totally. book on... Um, it was like the... It was the, the academic version of this that came out a couple of years ago. It was like Paul... And, Paul and the Faithfulness have, of God. It might The two been, volume set, blue
1: cover. It's like yeah, 1,700 pages. But I was
0: emailing with him before and he had been on two or three times before yeah. that. And so I like I'd done in person two in person with him. And so like I, yeah. I kind of had some relationship with him. And I was like this is what I want to talk about and he goes, yeah, I don't really talk about that in the book. And I was like oh, okay, but like I can But he's like, "Yeah, that's, that's not amazing. really uh, accurate to the book." So um
1: That's amazing. No, he yeah, that book was yeah i love all his stuff but his stuff that's a little bit more accessible obviously is just easier when the other bigger stuff it's more like for reference if i'm writing a book i'll go yeah. look
0: up a page but i'm not just going to sit down and read 700 700 uh, if someone actually book. has like i have a lot of respect for you i just i i, I haven't done that okay totally. so we had this uh, this twitter exchange i start following you catch up on you now um First thing I heard about you, obviously, was the video that came out, which everyone mm-hmm. is when they met you. You somehow got Bruce Wayne to let yeah. you use his house to record a video in front of, which that's pretty cool. I didn't even right? know you could get Batman to let you do that. So congratulations. You want a crazy story? That's actually a public
1: high school. Like, it's not even that. It's just a north. Like, like, if you just live in that area, that's the high school really? you go to. Isn't that crazy?
0: Is that Washington?
1: Yeah, it looks like a church. Yeah, it's in Washington. It looks like a church or kind of looks like a really regal boarding school, whatever. It's just like a super normal public school. What's even crazier, two things. One, that's where 10 Things I Hate About You was oh, filmed. Oh, you know The whole movie was filmed there.
0: Is it, is yeah, it bad that the I whole movie that so was there?
1: <laughs> no, it's a phenomenal, like, pop okay. iconic okay, movie. Like, you. that's one, one of my favorite movies, better. right? That's like our yeah. era, our generation. Um, it's a great movie. So, yeah, so that's, that was filmed there. And then two, not only is it gorgeous facade, but it literally is on a cliff on the ocean. So if you kind of get, if you go around the backside of the school, you're on just like this crazy, you're on the Puget Sound. So I mean, if people just Google it, Stadium High School, it's like, you can't, I bet it's probably the nicest public school in the nation. Just pure
0: aesthetics. Was that near where you were living at the time? Or did you drive?
1: Yeah, we live right there. We live right there. And I was just like, hey, I'm doing a video about religious stuff. Like this looks religious. Okay. So you
0: you do this video and, um, Obviously, like everyone's seen it, like thirty million views or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, everyone's seen it. Everyone's seen it. You've had because sure, you've been talking about it for <laughs> how, long, how like how long ago did that come out?
1: That was like six, probably, six years, years ago. <coughs> six or seven? Yeah, I think it was twenty twelve. So that'd be so. It's coming up on seven next month. Yeah, you're right. Wow, I thought years. it was a
0: lot longer than that. I've. I feel.
1: I mean, you go. You start going farther back than that, and we're talking. There's not much more years before you. Like the YouTube was 2011. YouTube's only five years old. It's mm-hmm. not really like a thing as a job much so, as then, you know. So it's pretty. It was pretty early in that. In so that what video I you're saying is that realm. you're
0: responsible for YouTube taking off and having the success. So con- exactly. So congratulations, YouTube. Exactly. Jeff made you famous. Thank you. Um, okay, so uh, exactly. we become friends, and I, so I wrote a book, and before, like it's done before, like I know who you are and I, like i knew who like i mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying
1: yeah, yeah. i've seen the video I, so already, I have yeah. a
0: chapter about um the sometimes the frustration of when people say uh it's kind of like the title of your video but i wasn't like sub you in my book but a thing about like totally. separating totally. jesus from religion like you can't really do that and so i was just like well totally. m- like obviously like i no one said hey do you hate jeff and i was like I don't totally. do that um so I just want to say up front like i don't hate you yeah that's what i'm saying
1: no well, that's good i appreciate that
0: <laughs> yeah i appreciate uh, so that you put this out and how old were you at the time 22 wow. 20 what was it like to go from like normal 22 year old to that sort of it was crazy yeah i mean it was crazy I, I don't i don't want to redo it i don't want to
1: relive it it was like two or three weeks of just like the Global internet spotlight mm-hmm. on me, um, and it was too too. I don't think that level, like where it's just that hot, white, bright, is just like that. That actually I think kills your humanness in some sense. Like it's like because that that capacity wasn't even possible yeah. before like yeah. a decade ago. You know what I mean? In all of human history, you just couldn't have that much of a concentrated eyeballs on you <clears throat> in a dehumanized way. By the way, because the internet's dehumanized, and How does so it dehumanize you, yeah. Well, I mean, like it's, well, the internet itself is dehumanized where it's, 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 it's D de, it's detached from relationship and yeah. like personhood, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's pixels. And on top of that, it's quick. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's bite sized. It's non nuanced, all these different things. It doesn't know you. It doesn't have ask for context. It doesn't ask for explanation. It doesn't ask for nuance, but yeah. So, so to have that then, yeah, that was, that was tough. But one thing about what you, it was interesting about what you said too, about the, that chapter in your book or whatever. Like, I'm, what's funny is, and this, this is why I think it's the context matters, and I also think there's something about the Internet that has flattened local theology. And now I'm not saying that, like, theology is different no, in different areas in the sense of, like, what's true here and what's not true there, but theology is contextual, and something about the Internet flattens that, which then be, bec- makes just an interesting problem. And I think the video showed that, right? And so context for that is I was going to a non-Christian liberal arts school in Portland, Oregon, 1500 students at the university, you know, not very much like as progressive liberal as you can get, like just very, even at some point, just weird, like just weird. Like, like this is very, like it's literally just humanism and post enlightenment, all these things drawn out to a logical conclusion. You know, truth is relative, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I I liked it though. I I played baseball there. I had friends. I loved it. It was a great environment. I kind of like being the minority from a worldview standpoint. So, but I would be in these conversations with my friends and they would just like, We kept I kept beating my head against a wall because they kept I talked to them about Jesus and they just basically kept saying things like um, what they would spit back to me I was like oh that's not it like that's kind of exactly what Jesus critiqued and so then when I started making the distinction between Jesus and religion I realized I got like a lot of ground I got I like it started to make sense to them and it was a really good contextual tool for them to be like oh okay I see what you're saying well of course still explaining no I love the institution of the church that's not what I'm you know I'm not saying the ecclesia and the body and liturgy and worship etc I'm not saying that. So like it was contextual. And so that's what that that poem was literally written for an open mic at my school. I wasn't trying to be YouTube famous. I wasn't trying to be a person on the internet. I wrote it for an open mic at my school contextually. And then just I was bored one weekend with my friend and we made a video and put it on YouTube and thought two friends would see it and we'd move on. And so then that was... It's like an interesting, weird thing of like, oh, like, yeah, but I didn't really mean that. But like, I did mean that. and It was really helpful for people. So it's just... It's it's weird because it's so far away now. I, I feel like I've even forgot about it at some point. But it's like... 99% 99% of the critiques that I got for that video, I agreed with. So that's a really weird thing when you read the critique and you're like, yeah. I agree with that. I'm not,
0: you know, I didn't say that. So, so it's yeah. just really, that's a weird that you world. You know what I mean? In camp with like the Jewish prophets who are critiquing religion that's empty, it's hollow. And so totally. if you were to, like you said, if you universalize that, then it's like, well, wait a minute, are the prophets against Judaism? Well, obviously not. Yeah. And totally. So copy exactly. Well, and even God himself, I mean, even God himself
1: coming hard down on, like, stop giving me sacrifices. Like, I don't want that, right? Like, do you think I'm hungry? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think I need this? You know? Yet, that's really, contra- like, we, we, we know that from a prophetic standpoint, but that's actually really contradictory. Like, yep. it actually does say that. Like, the Torah actually says they need to give that. So, like, then that, that that doesn't make sense, right? Unless, obviously, yeah. it does make sense of, like, oh, they missed the point, and then they started making yeah. it into something that it wasn't. So, it's like, you know what I mean? I think it's very similar. Even from the voice of God, there's kind of these interesting dichotomies. Yeah, but you're thinking about localization
0: is right, too, because there's that there's great thing in Proverbs where there's one one verse that says, don't answer a fool, and the next verse says, you do answer a fool. And it's almost like Proverbs is saying, totally. there are times you need to apply this, and there are times you don't need to apply this, because there, there's a requirement for contextualization. Totally. So, um, Totally, and so that was an interesting lesson because
1: that po- poem was definitely created for 21 year old Portland, yeah. Oregon people, and then the whole world watched it. So and, when I was, was
0: 21. I got invited to take over this non denominational Bible study that Matt Chandler had spoken at before me, and so it, there's a good following in the small West Ex- or the West Texas town I was in. Totally, and so I went from normal guy to like, oh, you're the guy who's replacing Matt Chandler, and Matt Chandler. Do you know Matt? You know Matt at all? Totally. Okay. So obviously, Matt's yeah, super talented. Awesome. Two most gifted speakers I've ever been around. Yeah. And so there's yeah. notoriety. I, I experienced that in a West Texas town. I can't imagine at 22 having that on like a like a a global Christian thing. And you get a lot of like feedback from yeah, like grown up adult people who are like, oh, let me let me engage with a yeah. 22 year old about this video that he posted. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. I mean, you know
1: you go from, and it was overnight too, like some stuff, slow growth, whatever. But this video was like, we uploaded it within a day. It was a million views within like a week. It was like whatever millions. And so it was all, it was very concentrated, very quick. And so, yeah, so I literally go to bed one night, and I'm just like a random 22 year old guy living with 10 other guys, <laughs> paying $200 rent in a five bedroom house right across the street from a college. And I'm working at a community center. And then the next day, all that stuff's still true. But I'm going to websites that I normally visit no- anyways. Wow. And I'm on this one. I'm on this one. This one hates me. This one's critiquing me. This one says something else. Like I'm getting invited places I've never, you know, that I watch. But, it's just it was weird. But you've and I'm kind of glad be, it's over.
0: Uh, a major presence on the internet continue to be a have, YouTube is something that you're obviously constantly participating in yeah, I mean, so that there is the weird, yeah, it's never
1: thankfully it's not as concentrated hot white spotlight like that anymore, but yeah, the cool part is i we did feel because of mentors in my life and because of Alyssa, my wife and who I was dating at the time, and some decisions and hey do we it was very just a question of like do I want to try to Pursue this and do things here. Like do I and and I really enjoy the scriptures. I love the Lord. I love teaching. I love unpacking them. I love studying. Um and I said, hey, I think this could be a really interesting avenue to maybe meet some needs on the internet. And it has been true where there's a lot of Christian stuff you can find on the internet, but the YouTube culture itself actually doesn't have that many Christian like personalities, Mm. if you want to call that, meaning like that's where they, they're not just uploading their stuff Mm. there like pastors do, but actually like YouTubers, like where that's like, they build a community there. They're part of the community there. And so I just kind of saw that gap there and wanted to fill it and say, yeah, I think this is a really cool space that I really feel native to, that I enjoy, that I feel I can use with my giftings. So yeah. So then in short, we kind of said, Hey, let's try to make a run at this, see if I can actually do this as a job. And we have ever since. The next comment I'm going
0: to make makes me sound older than I've ever felt before. in anything I've said on the podcast but my so I, like I get the YouTube culture, but my kids uh ten year old seven uh especially have this thing where they they have YouTube people that we used to have like YouTube kid that they could look, and we've kind of since curtailed that um but I, I don't really yeah. understand like the youtube like follower and people there's i I got pitch it is a very like this couple and they're, oh they're twenty one and they're cute and they have this marriage and they're they wrote a book about it and so one of the Publishers I work for the podcast sends me a book and I'm like yeah I don't know I don't I-, I mean I saw the numbers that they had for their YouTube I was like I don't know people had that and so I'm totally. at the bookstore uh, with my totally. kids um, and there's their book and I'm like oh I love this couple my my kids were saying that I'm like how do you know them and then I looked at I was like oh yeah they they someone asked to have them on my podcast and my kids like wouldn't talk to me for the rest of the that's night funny because I didn't have them on the podcast so like
1: <sighs> that's amazing what was it like uh, was it Cole and Savannah right. or something LeBron
0: it's a like a you don't like, know, like because they're, they're he the dude's got great hair. I remember that.
1: He, yeah, that's that's them sure. blonde. Yeah, so that's probably them. They're good. They're friends, and they're awesome, and they love the Lord. But yeah, they're they're <laughs> huge in the YouTube space. I, I got they, the, like that's their job, I don't and hate they them get the, every every video they upload. No, I know. I'm just saying, but it's but it's funny because like what you said, and I, we I even felt this in a micro way where yeah, like YouTube is huge and it has an enormous culture, but it is very like. Uh, there's a harsh divide between certain other Mm -hmm. groups and ages that just any that whatever's whatever the culture is on YouTube a lot of people don't know like who who are are those people even though they are you know even though (laughs) 3 million people watch them every single day right it's crazy I feel like he's
0: engaged with Andy Crouch I feel like you've read him right okay so he I love him yeah he's one of my favorite thinkers yeah I love him uh, Tech wise Parenting TechWise Family yeah yeah okay there it is TechWise Family his book a year ago year and a half ago something like that Um, uh, loved having him on I did a series on technology used that book as one of the main resources you've got three kids you're thinking about how do I parent in in this new age of technology obviously you're in the middle of it what are you thinking of practice for your kids with technology
1: yeah, so we actually just did an... It's funny you mentioned that. Just like a couple of weeks ago, or whenever people are listening to this, in December is when we did the episode on our podcast called the Real Life Podcast, where we did a whole forty-five minute episode on technology. And we so we have like what we call kind of our family's tech manifesto. Because my whole argument is, and I think it's because I am a little bit more on the front lines. My whole argument is technology to me is no different than coal, than tobacco, than car regulation. Whatever, like all these industries that 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 explode into culture with amazing benefit and then take about 40 to 50 years till we actually start making rules about them and seeing the damage, right? Like coal was immensely beneficial for what it actually did for power and energy for our culture. And then all of a sudden people start dying left and right. And we didn't do anything actually for about a couple more decades. Same with smoking, same with cars. Now, smoking is not the best one example because inherently I don't think anyone's trying to say that it just needs to be regulated. It needs to just be done. So that one's not the that one's a little less applicable, but there were ads in 1950 saying like you should smoke; it's good for your health. And so all I'm saying is I think technology. I think I think not technology because technology's been around for thousands of years, but certainly the newest iteration, meaning like the proliferation of the internet, the speed, the bandwidth, social media, apps, smartphone, all that the last decade or so. In my opinion is doing severe damage to us in a lot of regard. It gives us a ton of amount, ton of freedom, ton of power. No one's arguing that. That's why we always say yes to everything that benefits mm-hmm. us. Cause it gives us something. Um, but it's also killing us. But I think, but we, we don't, we're not making any regulations or there are no regulations. And so we need to self-regulate. That's my argument. Cause I don't, I bet that I bet in 40 years there will be severe technology regulation. Um, cause it's just starting to, kill us like in our society and jobs and bleeding money in the economy and our brains, et cetera, creativity. So once I think the more and more data shows up there, then I think we'll start regulating. But until then I tell people like you got to self-regulate meaning there is only about 50 people in a boardroom in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. across like three companies that are making decisions that are affecting about 2 billion people and they're making trillions of dollars. So like the, the, <laughs> the disproportion or the scales yep. being like way tipped in crazy numbers there. It's crazy. So like, and they have motivation and their motivation is money and your eyeballs, yep. not your well-being. And so you have to, you have to, not like I'm saying it's, you need to throw your phone out the window. I'm just saying you have to have a, a competing yep. motivational force, meaning like think intentionally about it. Have A vision for it, how do you shape it? TechWise Family is a perfect starting point for people. I always tell people, but yeah, so we basically came up with like, here's our boundaries, here's our rules, and it's called the Beth Key Tech Manifesto. And this is like what we do so that technology won't control us, so that it's on the fringe, not the center, um, so that we're creating, not consuming That's That's as much, etc. I think it
0: was, um, uh, Andy's book that, that connected me to uh, Tristan Harris, who I don't know if you know him. Um, yes, you shaking him. So he, I think it's yeah, his one awesome. who said, um, yeah. If you're not the customer, then you're the product.
1: And so like, if you're totally, and that's true with any free yeah. advertising product, like if you're, or it's, or I think the weird, I think the real phrase is if something is free, yeah, you're not the customer, you're the pro or you're not yeah. the customer, you're the product. Um, because it's, it's true because if, if something is free, mm-hmm. then you're not buying anything. So then what is being bought and sold? And the thing that's buying, being so- yeah. bought and sold They're- is your attention. Right, like your attention yeah, it's like is just being consol. Uh,
0: rounders about uh, poker that if you look around the table and there's not an idiot there, it's probably you, right? And so, like, yeah, exactly. Tech is yeah. not a neutral; like, it, it is a, a forced power that obviously we need to re- regulate and do something with to, to make sure that we can use it for what it's purposed for, but not let it use us. So, when you probably. have your manifesto, what do you think the most important part of your manifesto, or, or yeah. one point, or something that people can start with? There's a
1: bunch, yeah. There's a bunch in there. I think one we say is be. We try to be very, very mindful of the ratio between creation and consumption in our life. So more and more we go in our culture today. The more and more the scales get tipped in a consumption manner. Like a hundred years ago, you rate. Like actually, I'd probably say about 120 years ago. Probably right before. Uh, the model T what was that 1903 I think with Ford which totally that and then um, planned obsolescence there was about a decade right there that totally transformed the culture Mm. from a um, uh, contributing culture to a consumer consumer culture meaning most people's time was spent doing something for the betterment of their family or society now most of our time is spent receiving something or at least that's Mm. our vision of the good life if we can only get enough money and work less enough or work little enough, then we can be in a position to bring more into us. Right. And that just keeps growing. That just keeps growing. Like that's the vision of our good life is to consume more, right? Watch more, eat more, buy more, take in more, go on more vacations, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's all some level of consumption and that's fine. But we just try to just make the scales a little bit more even, uh, back towards creation. Because I also think creation, you know, creating, being creative. And I would even put, this is a weird kind of like thing, but I put reading in that. And what I mean by that, so reading is mm-hmm. technically consumption, but reading compared to like the internet yep. sugar calories is creation, meaning like the, what it's doing to your imagination and what it's actually doing to your brain and actually holding your attention span, That's a, it's more
0: like the creation. So that's, that's kind of what I mean by uh, those definitions. As an author, um, I appreciate more, you saying, go ahead. saying it that way because I definitely think reading our books is always the right thing for the universe.
1: Totally. It's Exactly, exactly. And it's way different. And, or, or another analogy you can use if you don't like that one is, it's like the broccoli versus the, sh- the, mm. the M&Ms, right? Like, you know, you do, you, you need your vegetables or else you'll die and you'll be weak and you'll be malnourished, but you don't need M&Ms. And if you eat too much of them, then you will die. And that's like the kind the, of, the, the broccoli mm. is the reading consumption and you know, M&Ms is like the phone consumption. What your I hear, hear you saying is if you don't, so, if our listeners yeah. don't read our books, they're going to die.
0: And I, yeah, that, that's, exactly. Biblical, I that's
1: exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what You took the sense. words right out of my mouth. But, um, and so that, that's an easy one is just like, be really mindful of like, like just toss out random percentages. Like, do I, how much do I spend? Do I, can I try to get to 50, 50 of like, man, or is it more like 99 one for most of us, right? Where I spend 99 of my day on my phone and maybe 1% doing something that's valuable for myself or for other people. Another one we do is a really easy one called the one, one, one rule. And that's basically where I have this rule where I got to keep my phone off one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. Um, and that just rhythm and that yep. cadence for us has been really helpful. You know, just turn it off and one and that one hour a day is usually to think, to journal, to whatever. Uh, and then one week, one day a week is for our Shabbat, our family Sabbath. And then one week a year is usually our big family summit, kind of shut it down, reflect. What is plan, uh, what is Shabbat?
0: What does Sabbath look
1: like for your family? So for us, and the reason I said Shabbat is we do kind of honor a little bit more traditional Jewish Sabbath which is the, that's what Shabbat is the Hebrew word for ceasing. But for us, we see it as one of the best, not because we're Jewish, but we see it as one of the best family building tools, plus the actual spirit of Sabbath, whether you're a family or single or an individual or whatever. And what I mean by that is like the family, like if you've ever I've been, to, been to Israel and spent time at an actual, uh, you know, Shabbat dinner with these families and it's, it's such a rich experience for family DNA. Like it is it is the anchor point of the week. Like what I like to try to try to tell people is um what would you say is the highest point of your week? Like if you could actually judge that, what would it be? Most people, or at least the young adult culture, would be like the Friday night, maybe at the movies or at a restaurant or at a bar or at a club. That's my peak. That's my zenith, right? Uh, or maybe if you're a religious person, you'd say Sunday at church, you know, I don't know. Um but like, what's your zenith of your week? That's something you have to ask yourself. And so for me, we basically just try to say, okay, we believe that the, as a family, I don't think if you're, if you're not in a family, this doesn't, doesn't need to be true, but because I'm a family and married with kids, I believe a once a week family meal that's more like a heightened mm-hmm. party should be that zenith. And so that's like our Sabbath meal, where we 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 basically start our Sabbath with this really celebratory party-like meal. Get out the cloth napkins, light the candle, do a couple rituals, do a couple blessings, do a couple moments of liturgy, and then we that starts our day of ceasing and celebrating. We have two candles, and the kids love saying it where it's one represents cease, one represents celebrate, which we think is kind of the twins of the Sabbath, of like one is stopping, but not just that because everyone thinks Sabbath is veg out. And it's like, man, I actually think watching football all day is actually anti-Sabbath. So you need to actually understand what true rest actually is. And it's, it's celebration. It's this invitation of shalom, which we see in the garden on the seventh day when God was invited to fill the earth with yeah. his presence. Um, so yeah, so that's basically just, that's the best way I put it. Is we just basically have a, it's an anchor that we, our family holds on to, that gives our family meaning, gives our family DNA, gives our family direction. But, it, but you don't even have to use those words it literally is just like a family meal party once a week it's like a Thanksgiving. mini Thanksgiving that's another way to put I it in, I was in Israel a couple yeah. of weeks ago and, we and
0: it. I had a Shabbat meal with a family and it was pretty amazing it's the uh, they, family music, very musically yeah. talented and so the father and three daughters which like totally I know, they'll but, sing like, they'll play instruments I'm never gonna sing it would be terrible for my family if I had to sing over them but having a father who could sing and exactly. daughters who join in it was it, it was a truly spiritual thing and I think that's what people sometimes miss is when we don't see the significance of those things. Totally. And, and that's why, and I, what I struggle with about Sabbath is a couple things. One,
1: a lot of times the first people's first response is, well, do I have to, you know, like, do I have to? And it's like, of course you don't, but you don't ever ask that about Christmas. That's good. Right? Like no one gets to December 25th and says, do I have to? Like, do I have to? It's like, no, 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 no. Your question just 100% revealed. You have absolutely zero idea what actually Sabbath is, right? Again, if it's a zenith of your week, and if it's a set apart day to invite God's presence into your home, and it's to throw a party, then it's not a, do I have to? It's, oh my goodness, how, when can I, right? And, uh, and so, yeah. And like, and then again, like you said, like with them singing and playing instruments and stuff, like. It is that to people. Like when you go when you go over to Israel or when you share a meal with a Jew, in a Jewish home, it's not like a this is really dry, dead religion. It's like no, this is actually what we've been Let's waiting get, for yeah. all week. Uh, this is a party. It gives a lot. Of, it gives a lot of uh,
0: communion undertones. That's I for had sure. uh, AJ Swoboda on a while ago, and he wrote a book called uh, Subversive Sabbath. Yeah, and one of the Sabbath, things that yeah, was awesome. impactful to me was he said there are no per- perfect Sabbaths because I find myself going. You know, I yep. messed this up a couple weeks ago on a Friday. I needed to do something on my phone. I checked it and then I just got drugged into like this drama. And I was like, I like, I sensed my spirit just kind of like dropping, like, this is a day you're not supposed to do that. Got sucked into it. And then I remembered, no, no Sabbath is perfect. Like, none of them are going to be perfect. We're all totally well again. And I, and then that's it's just, it's weird. Like, this
1: Sabbath is almost a really, at least because we've been honoring it and practicing it for a couple years now, five or four or five years now. And so I've seen a lot of the common. Things people say when I talk to them about it and really encourage people to do it. And you're like what you just said, that's a that's one main one for a lot of people is it feels really pressureful. And if they just barely miss it, then they're done. Like, kind of like it's just it's really yeah. heavy of like we got to nail it or else it's whatever. And I always say, like, again, back to the Christmas analogy because you it's holiday is your best lens, right? Because holiday literally is the word comes from the word holy day, which literally is Sabbath. Um, it's Christmas is your best lens, right? So you might have a Christmas. That gets a little stressful, that, you know, maybe you're sick, um, maybe you got steeped up a little in consumerism and not the actual spirit of Advent, whatever it is, but you don't you don't then say like, eh, let's not do it, or eh, let's not have Christmas. Oh, eh, and let's actually do it December twenty-seventh. No, it's like it's in it's it's in the ground and you submit. Like the December twenty-fifth is a stake in the ground. You submit to that day, and then hey, yeah. you learn better for next year. So like four years ago, you know, when we first started having kids, and they start getting presents from grandparents and got a little overwhelmed, and we're a little bit more of a minimalist family. We learned, okay, how about next year we give a list to the grandparents and only get this and spread it like you just you learn, adapt, and iterate. Learn, adapt, iterate. And the cool part about Sabbath is you don't have to wait once every year. You literally get to do it every seven days for 50 years. So you can actually create this incredible, awesome experience. And our close mentor family of ours, they're huge Sabbath proponents as well. This huge Shabbat meal. They have four generations around their table when they do it. It didn't start like that, but they've been doing it for seventeen years. So can you imagine seven days or once every seven days you're having a family zenith meal over seventeen years? Like that's that you're going to get a lot better and it's going to be I think that's
0: like spiritual disciplines. People don't expect them to be something you have to work at and to improve and to get better at. But but that's how it works. Mm -hmm. Like it it takes it it takes time, it takes development, it takes practice and you grow into them. And I think that's uh sometimes there's this, this guilt thing that comes in that if it's not perfect, it's not good, then I'm not doing it right and so it's not worth my time. I shouldn't be doing it. But but yeah, we got to make space for totally. people to grow into it. I need to make space for myself to grow into it. Uh, okay, so uh, Annie F. Downs was the one who told us through the podcast, and her favorite yeah. uh, book of yours, uh, she's, she referred to it as the one with the X on it, which is the one that you talk about, Christianity being more than just going to heaven <laughs> when you die. Okay, so uh, yeah. many of us have heard N.T. Wright talk about the gospel, our, our beloved Tom Wright here, mm-hmm. who helped us get that direction. Yes. Uh, you're what was your religious experience growing up by the way
1: uh christian and churched, but not like i wouldn't say i was like all in like i was raised by a single mom hard upbringing harsher yep. you know conditions etc socioeconomic status but went to church and what's really cool is there was a lot of providence and dots that got connected yeah. once i started following the lord at 19 with people that were praying for me people that knew me in the church etc but yeah so church i would say but not like crazy churched or or like there was a disconnect i would say that's a better way to put it. a disconnect mm. because i was churched and i knew the stuff but also it didn't seem to gotcha. like home was so really hard when you grew up in,
0: in in faith was the idea mostly about spirituality being like you, you follow jesus oh. so that you go to heaven when you die and that's something that you had to unlearn yeah yeah
1: yeah it was totally classic evangelicalism of like raise your hand on the friday night of youth camp i think i raised my hand 13 times i've been saved 13 times good for you man. um right like i, don't, I was like did did, did he, I know, right? I know. I get a, once you get over to like once you're pushing ten, you know, and getting yeah, over like, ten, then it's like as a baseball a, player though, I feel like metal. like
0: keeping um, track of saves is a good thing, right? Yeah, that is
1: exactly exactly oh, touche touche.
0: Um, but yeah, so
1: yeah, but that was definitely a huge part of it, and that's actually what that book is about. That book is almost like a deconstructing of kind of that journey and trying to be a little bit more of a manifesto to my peers who felt the same way, while not. Um, being just a deconstruction manifesto because I think a lot of millennials have this angst where they just tear They tear the house down and they don't actually rebuild anything up. And that really bothers me. Um, and so really was trying to say like, no, no, there's an invitation to something better, something more beautiful. That's actually that the, that, that what we thought we had when we were kids was just kind of a parody, meaning it had a lot of similar clothes, had a, a lot of similar words, but it wasn't the fullness. Um, and so, yeah, that's what that book tries to do. And yeah, that's actually, that's funny. You mentioned that. I think we've written four books now or I've written four and some other random resources here and there. So like seven or eight total, but, um, is it really, that's my favorite. Why one. is that? So that, so, it's, uh, mm-hmm. I like it's, it's, I don't know. It just, you know, I don't know uh, if it's it just, it's, it just kind of just feels like the one I wanted to write most, you know, it just feels like, man, that's what I really wanted to write. It feels like it turned out. Cause you know, there's so many players in the game and so many things happen and books take years. That one felt like it finished at like what I, what I, what my conception was (laughs) more than some of the other ones. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like I know it's a weird thing for an author to even say he has a favorite book, but it's just like, Oh, I really am proud of that one. And I really like how that one is. I really like passing that one to people for like a first experience with me. But it's funny though too, because the first book Jesus grain religion, like went crazy and was on the new york times bestseller list for weeks i'll never do that again probably um and i was like 23 when that happened but that's my least favorite book so there's some weird stuff there of like man your most popular book you don't like and then you know what i mean like it's it's weird there's a lot of stuff there but it's i talk about that in my next book yeah, actually I, the complexity of that
0: a couple things first of all, when's your next book what's the what's the timeline of that
1: uh, that one comes out next year I turn it out I turn oh, wow. it in in 11 days actually oh, it's not doesn't have a nice title or anything but okay. yeah, I'm excited so
0: you're 23 you have the book Thank that you. your words probably gonna be the most traditionally yeah. American definition of successful most successful book uh, Liz Gilbert Elizabeth Gilbert totally. talked about how she wrote *E. Pray Love and she's never gonna have a more successful book than yep. that her words how, yep. her, for her though she's writing this book as I don't know she was 40 or something like that when she wrote that book you're 23 yeah she like was yeah when okay I'm not projecting on you but when I was 23 like I've been preaching for a few years had a couple of degrees I felt like I knew things but looking back like I, at 23 I knew nothing and I would be terrified if my sermons from totally. when I was 23 were somehow accessible to anyone today but totally. when you're 23 and you have the numerical success you did is it difficult to get up to keep writing after that knowing that okay that's gonna be difficult to, to reach again I think if that was the motivation, then that would have
1: been hard. But I think the, you know, the Lord just had to do a quick work in me right when that happened of like, man, this isn't normal. Right. And I found that Mm -hmm. out quickly when my second book came out that, you know, it's not, they still, the books still do fine. But that first one, yeah. like, I think it's like at 250 or 300,000 copies. And like I said, on the like stuff that's like that, that's not normal. And I didn't find that out until my second book came out. And so then I'm like, Oh, that's, that's not normal. Um, and yeah, I can almost guarantee that won't happen again statistically. So it's it's a, there's a, so many mixed emotions there of like, yeah. What do you do when your very first thing you pretty much ever create in a commercial way for the career you want to do is probably the most successful thing you'll ever do in that? Even if you do this for sixty more years, what do you do if? Um, yeah, and then to your point of like the like is there you know wisdom in like when do you publish? When do you not publish? Do you know like my stuff's on record now? Then am I, is there anything I would change? Yes. Is there anything I think that's like really bad or that I really regret? No. Um, So thankfully, and I think that's partly because I'd still, no matter what, from a very young age was like, everything got submitted to something, everyone, everything, you know, all those were submitted to you know, PhDs in theology, mentors of mine for stories. Like I was, that was a really good advice I got from mentors is basically just like, I, if I'm going to do this, I need covering and covering has to have a That's say smart, over man. my stuff. Does it make sense? Um, and like, and, and especially cause in the internet age, it's like the wild, wild West. Like when you're like internet personalities, just say all these random things and it's like, who are you accountable to? Right. Um, and so there's that, but I also, but there also is like a weird strain, not a weird strain. I do think sometimes we take that too far though. Cause I know there's some people in the Christian tradition that kind of say like, you should never yep. write a book until you're like 50. Do you know what I mean? And I struggle with that too, of like, eh, like I don't. It really sees, and and this is where I think this argument gets caught in the weeds. A lot of people like you know, like you have nothing to say. You're gonna blah, blah blah. And I I do actually agree. Like when I read those people that say that, I agree with what they're saying. But I think they're talking about like people being experts. When to me, I don't see publishing as you're an expert. I see publishing as. It's a craft that you do. Like I like if you're a, are you a plumber or are you a writer? Right? To me, that's how I see it. And then I also see it as like it's a narrative, it's a story, right? Yes. Like it's your journey. And so that that's a whole nether side conversation, but I that's one that I have thought a lot about is like a lot of people will do that thing of like, Man, you you shouldn't who do you think you are at twenty three writing a book, or even twenty nine now writing a book? And I'm like, I don't think I'm anyone. But like what? Are you an electrician and you help people fix their lights? This is what you well, do. Well then I like you know what I mean? Like it's what? just like and I write. Like I, I, to me it reveals in people this like really weird mystical elevation of like teacher mm-hmm. writer word jobs as like a little more lofty 100%. than they should be does that make sense like i think it actually kind of reveals in people like oh what do you actually think authors are like they're not gods yep. they're not you know like it's a craft i, I love it's like you know
0: and i've used it in the podcast a couple times but uh the thing about adele i don't know if you're a fan of adele and if you're not you should be um
1: Dude, she's the best in the world. Saw her
0: live once. Incredible.
1: Best live performance in the world.
0: But, like, her album titles Mm -hmm. are her ages. Like, what is it? 18, 21, 25, whatever. And it's like. Yeah. Because they're a perfect representation of those years for her. Because even at. I I think this. So I published this year. I wrote it probably when I was 35 and so there's a lot of like my story in that book but at even at 35 there's a sense of hubris of hey this is me giving some of my story having some like personal narrative kind of stuff in woven into this book what do I know at 35 but I think this is my expression of this is where I am right now and I know it's going to change I know I'm going to grow but exactly like I'm doing the work that I'm called to do and I'm this is who I'm being faithful to I'm being faithful to the person I should be not that I have it all (coughs) figured out and if you wait till
1: you have it all figured out, you wouldn't even write a book at 50. You'd write a book once you're glorified in heaven and the new heavens and the new earth in yeah. Revelation 21. Yeah, right? It's so like, that's when you would write I the book. I agree.
0: Well, I'm curious now to know what your next book is, but uh, we'll have to wait till that one uh, comes out a couple, I guess a year from now or so it'll come out. Yeah, October. I can tell you, but I, I like, I don't even know. I don't know if you've ever had that struggle, but
1: this is my fourth book or fit th- or yeah. Or I co-authored one with Alyssa. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you count that, but, um, but it's, um, but it's, it's it's funny because every book's its own yeah. little baby and its own little process and its own little birth. And this one, this one is the least, like I've written 45,000 words, I think. And it's due at 50,000 words oh. in 11 days. So it's pretty much done, but I still don't know like exactly. I know what I want to talk about. I don't know what like the, the name and the fir- and the big overarching the, yeah, yeah, thing yeah, is. Does I that make sense? Get that. So like, but, but it's says so like, so then I, so then that because of that, I can't yeah. give the elevator pitch, but like the the gross bad version of kind of what's been in my head to like help me write is essentially it's a book of me trying to really push back on like our hustle culture, Mm -hmm. our life hack culture, our overly optimizing ourselves culture and and calling us back to spiritual disciplines, but a little bit different angle of that and trying to be like, I would almost say I'm trying to be, this is not, I'm not on these people's levels, but I'm trying to do like a little bit of Malcolm Gladwell meets like Dallas Willard. So, like, a little bit of, like, spiritual formations, but a lot more of, like, really unique research, interesting stories, case studies, etc., how our brain works, etc. So, each chapter is essentially one big theme that's kind of, I'm talking about what we're losing because of our buzziness, our connectedness, our speed of our culture. So, there's a Mm -hmm. chapter on silence, how we're losing silence. We don't know how to be silent. There's a chapter on um Empathy. We don't know how to be empathetic. We just basically hate each mm-hmm. other, and we tell each other online. Um, you know, we do, there's what else is there? There's a chapter on obscurity and how like we basically actually think that's yeah. a curse, not a gift. Uh, just so yeah, it goes on and on. But it's basically kind of like that. I know that was a bad pitch. It'll right. probably be better we'll in ha- a year. We'll have you back on in a year. But.
0: And this pitch was good. I know the next one will be flawless. And so we we have that to look forward to uh, exactly. next October. So that will be perfect. Uh, but I mean. Exactly the whole Gladwell Dallas Willard mix. I mean, I'm I'm buying if 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 we get like fifteen percent of those two names, I'm buying like I, that's <laughs> it. still like, good that's, enough. All you need deal. To do is get fifteen percent, deal. Well,
1: because this I will say this book more. I felt freer in this book more than the other ones because now that I've written a couple, I feel like I finally got my grounding mm-hmm. of who I am as a writer and an author. And this one is trying to really be like me, like I yep. like. What's funny, what I just said right there is because those are like who I like to read. Like I really read. Really, I read a lot of non Christian yeah. journalists, yeah. academics, the Atlantic, this and that, and Gladwell. But I also love drinking deeply from the well of like not just Willard, but then, you know, people that have, you know, lived a thousand right. years ago, the church fathers. And so, like, I so it's it's fu- so this one is almost trying to be a representation of these is just what I like. And I kind of want to, I felt like I had to be one or the other when I used to write. When I kind of just like, hey, I like all this yeah. stuff, let's talk about well, all this I, stuff. I
0: think that's awesome that you're still. <clears throat> like working to figure out what your voice is and who you are and being faithful to that I think it'd be probably pretty easy for you to become a caricature of what you think would cause the next book to sell 300,000 copies. And I think that would be an easy temptation for all of us to kind of give in into. So kudos to you for not doing that and trying to find mm-hmm. your authentic voice, which I think that's a, an ongoing process for people in our professions that you got to keep working at it. So thanks for not taking the, the easy road and uh, j- just popping out the commercial stuff. Mm-hmm. That's good.
1: <laughs> it, it, it is funny I do make the joke with my wife that like I'm almost I'm almost trying to I'm trying to model Jesus's ministry where he started with 5,000 and no one was there when he died yeah that's awesome do you know what I mean and so I'm just trying to like I'm trying to like funnel I'm trying to like I have this like upside down triangle that I'm trying to do with my job of just like less and less people read it well, the more yeah, and more I go forward well as someone who at the pretty pretty fun of goal
0: whatever 21 had to follow Matt Chandler I've had some experience yeah. in dwindling crowds and it's really good for the self esteem yeah.
1: Totally. And I think it actually is though. I think it actually is. And not just that, but then you need some re- really good for your own. Like, well, what's the purpose of this? What's the point of this? Um, and what am I trying to do? And you know, if you do sell out, it's not fulfilling. And so then, you know, and then that game, yeah, no, and, yeah, I've all got his other book things that for sure.
0: Uh, turning in a couple weeks or a couple months actually. And I do a chapter in which I talk about like how much I compared myself to Chandler because of, not because of him, but because of that's just where I was in totally. life stage and all that.
1: His yeah, name in the city, yeah. totally. And nothing but respect for man as a person. Yeah.
0: But what I tried to like compare myself to, it's it's destructive. And you know, there's this thing about parrots. You know parrots like when they're in captivity will copy the the words that their like their owner will say. Uh, yeah. In I've seen in the wild they're not gonna do that. And what happens is when they're in captivity, they will parrot the sounds around them because they've lost their native tongue. And they've lost the ability to communicate with other yeah. parrots because the only thing that they hear are Are imposters like imposter sounds, which is what human sounds are. And I think comparison does that. Like you lose your authentic voice because you forget who you actually are. So um,
1: totally, totally. And that, but I think, and that's a really good point. You say that because I've been thinking a lot about that too. There's a lot of tension (coughs) and layers there because you have to be able to hold that in one hand, which I think is actually so desperately needed for specifically people under 40 right now of like, man, don't live a life of comparison be singular be and not just like be unique to be unique sake but like the lord you you are you um and not like the snowflake (laughs) thing but just like you you are created who you're Mm -hmm. created to be and you have a voice and god's not going to ask you were you a better ex he's going to ask you you know were you a better were you the best jeff like he's gonna ask me that when i died not was i a better this and so so that is true but i also think that we also have to and it's not even a baby with the bathwater thing, but I'm also, it's really hard to have that tension then with like still being really humble enough to grow in critique. Meaning like, Oh, I'm not good at like, thank you that that chapter sucked. Thank you for telling me. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Not like, Oh, that's just me being my voice and they didn't like it. So there's a really interesting tension there. I don't think we talk about where it's like, no, you, 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 your your job is to serve people, especially if anything goes with words. So, like, my job is to write words, say words on a podcast, say mm-hmm. words on a video that can serve people. So, I have to weirdly have the tension of like doing it to be faithful, what I feel like Lord's called me to, but then also if it's not resonating, like, is yep. that am yep. I serving? Do
0: you know what I mean? Or yeah, I, or something? I, so I think that's interesting. that. Side note: You grew up playing baseball. I've kind of gathered you didn't just start playing in college. That'd be kind of weird if you Mm -hmm. did. But uh, if you if you grew up in the sports world, you've been coached your whole life, and people have told you you're bad at this. You need to get better at this. And I feel like that's one of the most formative things about sports is that you learn to listen to coaches and critiques that you have. The problem is when not even listen. I feel like it's normal. You're like, oh yeah, just like yeah, yeah, like I'm
1: just like give it to me. Yeah, what's what's you know change this, change this, do this. The problem is
0: you have one specific coach who you know is. The right one you're supposed to listen to especially as a like a younger athlete not like a high level mm-hmm. you know professional athlete or something like that where there maybe is yeah. multiple voices but the problem with what we do is that there are so many people that have a perspective on it and so how do you how do you yeah. disassociate helpful critique from those who are just giving their opinions who don't have the reason or the the right to do that and that's the million dollar question like how do you figure that out
1: yeah i think I think there's a couple things there that's been helpful to me. One, I think you're right. You have to have a trusted, yep. selected group of people that get full say. Full say. If you're any type of internet person or whatever, or pastor, or writer, or anything, or even just anyone, there should be people in your life that just have full say. Like they mm-hmm. can say that was bad. That was you shouldn't have done that. Yep. Um, and here's why. And, and the they they have full disclosure. Is that the right? To like look at everything. Like, hey, show me your bank statements right now. Hey, what's your internet history? Hey, this. You know, whatever it is, like they just, they need to be, you need people that can have full say, see everything, say everything, no holds bar. but, um, and, and, and trusted that, you know, is like kind of like a, a yep. accountable to the Lord on your behalf. Right. And then, but I also think he can also speak, God can also speak through a donkey. So it's like, and actually like that's his will. And that, yep. and that's actually how he communicates sometimes. So I go back. So I think it's like, you got to hold those tensions of like, don't listen to every donkey. But I think, and and I think that's the spirit's job there. Like if something does cut you down pretty bad online or something, you probably know, like if there's shame involved if there's guilt involved and that's not right. If you know, it's not, you know, with jiving with what the Lord's told you in the past, that's not right. But if you read something that's maybe just a little extra mean, but what they were trying to say or kind of said in their meanness, you're like, Oh, that actually is what the Lord's been kind of hinting at me for the last year. Then, you know, you kind of listen. So that the the spirit has to be there for that to kind of be applicable correctly. But, um, I think it's a little bit of both, yeah, for sure.
0: Hearing you talk about your life on the internet makes me appreciate being a pastor more. Because as a pastor, like there's you know thousand plus people in our church and they're like plenty of people have opinions. Um uh, but I would like at least they're real people like that I actually can see and interact with. Totally. And it's not like just an avatar that someone took of their like a really good picture back when they're in high school that I've <laughs> seen. Right? And I like I'm glad you're doing your job and I don't want it. So uh you keep doing that and uh I'll, I'll stay in my lane, but all the best. Yeah, the, to
1: Yeah, the the internet's a lot faster feedback. It's a lot meaner feedback. It's a lot dehumanized feedback. But mm. yeah, you get you you learn to live with it.
0: Yeah, well, Jeff, I'm going to tell you this. I, I enjoyed talking with you. I do feel like for the first time I've had a guest on that made me feel old because you're like, oh, <laughs> now, now that I'm 29, like, I'm how 30, old are you? I'm 37. And okay. I think just the YouTube thing that I don't fully understand YouTube... Like, I know how to that watch YouTube. That is about
1: the thing. gap. Well, you're technically... I think the millennial cutoff is 33 or 34 right now. Meaning, Ugh. like, you have to be 34 or younger to be a millennial or 33 and younger. And so, yeah, you wouldn't be that and I would be. So, that is an actual... Like, even though it's only... Eight mm. years. That is a generational gap, enough to be like, I'm native to YouTube. If, I, those are the people I appreciate and are, you know, spokesman,
0: peers of my life, but not for you, et cetera. If, if you're trying to make me feel better, you're failing. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not helping, but I've, I don't doubt that to be true. So th- this is uh, the guest brought to you by Annie Downs. This might be like the third or fourth installation of that. We had Dave that's Barnes awesome. on. Uh, Jamie Ivey. I'm not going to rank them, but... Um, I, like I'm not you probably can't sing as good as Dave Barnes I don't know if you know Dave no
1: dude love, don't know him but man his music's incredible
0: yeah um I I don't know I feel like maybe you, I bet you're better at baseball than him
1: yeah I could see that yeah okay but okay. I also don't have as good I also don't have as good of a Texas
0: accent as Jamie Ivey so you know we all have our pros and we all have our cons and that's where I was gonna get like I'm always gonna vote for the Texan but exactly your second place Dave's in third so congratulations <laughs> silver's not bad anyway uh Jeff, thanks for the time. It's good talking with you. Dude, thanks so thanks much. Appreciate it. Thanks for checking it. out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.